Chapter 8 of Bird's Eye Views of Far Lands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cataclyc. Bird's Eye Views on Far Lands by James T. Nichols. Chapter 8 The Nation That Conquers the Sea. Holland. We read an ancient history that Xerxes whipped the sea, but this chapter will give a glimpse of a nation that conquers the sea. A million acres of the best land in Holland have actually been rescued from the water, and at this hour a large lake is being drained, which means that hundreds of thousands of acres will soon be rescued from the sea and be made to blossom as the rose. The country of Holland is about the size of the state of Maryland, one-fourth of its entire area is below the sea level, and its great dikes, where they placed end to end, would make an immense dam more than fifteen hundred miles long, and in some places from thirty to sixty feet high. Almost the entire country is a network of canals. A single one of these canals cost more than fifteen million dollars, and it is less than fifty miles in length. The faith of these Holland people in times of adversity is one of the wonders of history. For a hundred years they struggled against powerful Spain, but their faith saved them. It is said that at the siege of Leiden they were reduced to such desperate straits that all they had to eat was dogs and cats. In derision they were called dog and cat eaters. They replied to their enemies, As long as you hear the bark of a dog or the mew of a cat, the city holds. When these are gone, we will devour our left arms, retaining the right to defend our homes and our freedom. When all are gone, we will set fire to the city, and with our wives and children perish, rather than see our families destroyed and our religion desecrated. Think of it. A country, one half of which is below the level of the water, some of it sixteen feet lower than the ocean, which is only a few miles away. What watchfulness! and anxiety bordering upon fear must occupy every moment both day and night in a single century there were thirty-five great inundations which literally swallowed up several hundred thousand people instead of being disheartened like ants they went to work at once to rebuild the dikes and with the aid of hundreds of gigantic windmills pumped the water back into the sea these windmills are not only used to pump water but they saw wood, grind corn, crush seeds, make paper, and do about everything else. While they are imperiled all the time by water, they make the water serve them in numerous ways. Their fences are ditches filled with water. How their cattle and horses have been trained to stay in, a small lot surrounded by narrow ditches filled with water they could easily jump over, is a mystery but every visitor to Holland has seen it with his own eyes. These Dutch people are great farmers and stock-raisers. As their country has no minerals, the people depend upon agriculture more, perhaps, than in any other part of the world. Supporting a population of 470 people to the square mile, every food of the land, of course, is tilled carefully. The main agricultural product is potatoes, of which they raise about 100 million bushels per annum. Then come oats, 20 million bushels, rye, 15 million, 
and about a third as much wheat. The Hollanders build ships, refine sugar, dredge oysters, distill liquor, and brew beer. They manufacture carpets, leather, and paper goods, make chocolate, cut diamonds, as well as produce gold and silver articles and pottery. The farmer uses his cow like one of the family. He keeps her in the house when the weather is cold, washes and combs her hair more often than his own, and keeps her room as clean as the parlor. She chews her cud contentedly, and the only thing about her which is tied up is her tail, which is generally fastened to a beam above, to keep it from getting soiled. Of course, milk, butter, and cheese are not a small part of the living of these people. Often, in a Holland home, the sitting-room, dining-room, and sleeping-room are one and the same. People often sleep in bunks one above the other, like berths on a ship or sleeping-car. The great bird in Holland is the stork, which is kept and given a home because of the service rendered in keeping down toads and frogs. The people who live in the lowest ground make nests for the storks upon posts erected for the purpose, and almost every Dutch city has a pet colony of these birds. The Dutch folklore tells of the tragedy of the stork colony away back in the 15th century, which occurred during the breeding season. The town of Delft caught fire and when the older storks made ready for flight, their offspring were too young to fly, and too heavy to be carried, and rather than leave their young, the old birds went back to their nests and perished. The two great recreation amusements that everybody engages in are cycling and skating. Roads are good so that the former can be practiced the year round, while the latter, of course, can only be indulged in during the winter time. These people become so skilled on the ice that they can beat an express train, and to skate a hundred miles in an afternoon is an ordinary excursion. Some years ago a record of four miles in five minutes was established, which is going some on skates. In the beginning of winter, when the skating season opens, the young men and maidens have a great time going to the city of Gouda, the young men go to buy long pipes and bring them home safely in their mouths or pockets. The fair maidens try to waylay them and break these pipes. Likewise, the maidens purchase brittle cakes and attempt to carry them home in bags without breaking them up, and the young men endeavor to knock the bags from their hands and thus break the cake. They all have a gay time. Skating is ruled by a sort of a national society. The fee is so small that everyone can join it. This society decides when skating is safe, marks the routes, and employs sweepers to keep these highways clean from snow, etc. Everyone must obey the rules laid down by this society. Consequently, accidents are rare. One week each year they have a great festival called the Kermis, which is not unlike the old-fashioned carnival in this country. All kinds of amusement are engaged in, and all have a jolly time. St. Nicholas Day, which occurs on December 5th, is also a great day in Holland, especially for the children. The largest city in Holland is Amsterdam, which contains more than one half million people. This is a walled city, but the walls are water in the shape of canals. There are four of them, the outermost being called the Singel, or girdle. Across these canals are smaller canals running diagonally, 
and the city itself is as though built on a thousand islands. These larger canals are almost filled with ships of various sizes, and boats and barges fill the larger ones. The city has the appearance of being built on the water, canals serving the purposes of streets. The ground used to be a great marsh, and the entire city is practically built on piles, which are driven down sometimes eighty feet. One great palace in the city stands upon fourteen thousand piles. One would think the buildings would collapse in the course of time, and some of them are all out of shape, but the people are so used to seeing the buildings lean, almost like the leaning tower of Pisa, that they think nothing about it. Once in a while the road will give way under a heavily loaded truck, but they pry the load out, repair the roadway, and go ahead as though the highway were built upon solid rock. That the people of Amsterdam are religious is shown by the fact that there are many large churches in the city. The front of the great palace, called the Dam, has a hundred windows and only one insignificant entrance. It has been called the palace without a door. Just across the square is the exchange, with a great portico supported by seventeen columns. Some have called this a door without a house. Like New York, Amsterdam has its ghetto, in which more than sixty thousand Jews are packed almost like sardines in a box, and most of these live in the direst poverty and misery imaginable. However, just beside this ghetto live wealthy Jewish families, and one of the great synagogues is so magnificent that they claim it represents the Temple of Solomon. As noted above, the gigantic task of draining the Zuiderzee has already been started. This great lake is a hundred miles long and half as wide, and used to be a great forest. Between seven and eight hundred years ago, this forest and some better land, consisting of farmlands and cities, were destroyed by the river Kim. A writer in the Scientific American, quoted in the Literary Digest, says, Then Neptune looked down with longing eyes for his own. About the middle of the thirteenth century, the North Sea broke through the upper sand dunes and swept over the land. Hundreds of villages with their inhabitants were engulfed and destroyed. Geographical continuity was obliterated, and Holland found herself cut in two by an ocean eighty-five miles long from north to south, and from ten to forty-five broad. It proved, moreover, quite a treacherously dangerous sea as that which divided her from Britain. The capital city of Holland contains more than a quarter of a million people. Perhaps the most outstanding building in The Hague is the Palace of Peace. It was dedicated August 28, 1913. Something like twenty countries contributed materials for this great building. The granite in the base of the walls came from Norway and Sweden. The marble in the great corridor is Italian. Holland supplied the steps in the great stairway and a group of statuary at the foot of this stairway came from Argentina. The stained glass in the windows of the Court of Law came from Great Britain, and the rosewood in the panelling of the Council Chamber is Brazil's contribution. Turkey and Romania each supplied carpets, Switzerland furnished the clock, and Belgium the ironwork on the door at the main entrance. Our own contribution was a group of statuary in marble and bronze at the first landing of the Great Stairway. Russia and China furnished vases, Japan sent silken curtains, and France furnished a magnificent painting, 
thus the nations build it together and we all hope the dream for which this palace of peace stands will soon become a reality we are glad that the building is now open again for more than four years holland occupied perhaps the most difficult position in which any country was ever placed every day of that time she was between the devil and the deep sea compelled to be ready for the invasion every moment yet trying to remain strictly neutral she had the job of feeding hundreds of thousands of refugees these were anxious months and years but the dutch did most remarkably well and kept their heads above water all the time no people were more happy to see peace come although they were compelled to harbor the greatest enemy civilization ever had End of chapter 8